First of all, this is a church where we go to the Lord and we ask him what he wants us to do and then we do it, okay? So that's what we do. And as happens very often times, that just fits into a, a pattern that, that we get and understand and it just unfolds naturally and nicely. And then there's the other times when what happens is what's gonna happen today. And that is that I had a plan and I had a thought and I was going down a particular road and then God just took it and went, that's great and everything else, but that's not what we're gonna do, okay? I'm gonna give you a really short little sermonette inside of this introduction. This is a long introduction, I'm warning you right now, but it's because we're gonna do something different towards the end based on what I felt like the Lord led us to do. But I'm gonna give you just a little short example of where devotionals fit in life because I want you to see something. So here's what happened. So I go out on Monday morning, like I always do, and I prayed and I asked the Lord, what do you wanna say? Now, when I'm doing that on Monday, I usually do look at the next section in Luke just to see what it is, so that if the Lord starts talking to me from that next section, which happens most of the time, I kinda of have it in my head and so on. And so that's what I did, right? Now, what happened was, is I started, I was like, wow, this is an incredible section. I got all excited about it. I wrote a whole bunch of notes. I took a whole bunch of verbal notes. I had a whole bunch of material on it. Then Tuesday was essentially a travel day, so I didn't get any chance to pray that day. Wednesday, I thought, well, I'm gonna go out and pray again today because I like to do it every day. But bottom line is, is Wednesday came and I was still sort of digging out from an avalanche of a crazy February that has been for us. I mean, just crazy. I don't... You know, I've been here most of the time, but it's just been nuts what's been going on in our lives for the last few weeks. So the bottom line was, is that I was absolutely overwhelmed and, and I, I, I didn't get out to pray, but I did get into study. So I got to look at the passage and read the comment. Boy, there was a whole bunch more material, a whole bunch more thoughts. And I thought, well, I know what the sermon's gonna be. Thank you for grace on a week where I'm so pressed. On Thursday, I know better than to preach from what I think is right. And so on Thursday, I, I, knowing that I hadn't gotten Tuesday and Wednesday, which is very unusual, I went out for a long prayer. And sure enough, right at the very beginning of the prayer, there was just something in my heart that was happening. And it was pressing me down, weighing me down. And I just, within, within 10 minutes of an hour and a half long walk, I knew that we weren't going to be doing that sermon. <laughs> I just, this is the little sermonette that I want to give you. Think about it. We pray in the shower because we're pressed for time. We pray on our way to work. We pray in the margins of our day. Can I say, oh, that's wonderful. You should be doing absolutely all of that. It's not either or, it's both end. There's also this kind of prayer that is giving him the first fruit of the day. Some people can do a devotional at night. I've never met one that can do one for a long period of time, although there's probably a couple in here. Most people, if they're going to establish a long-term devotional habit, they'll find it just needs to happen at the beginning of the day. It's just a first fruit where you just get up a little earlier than you normally do. I know with Kevin Perales, I we worked on Pop-Tarts for a little while. And, and I just said, what do you really like to help give you extra motivation? He said, Pop-Tarts. And I said, okay, every time you get out, every time you get up early enough to pray, give yourself a Pop-Tart. I'm pretty sure looking at his weight, he's not still eating the Pop-Tarts. But it worked. It gave him time. It gave him a new structure. It gave him an opening in a day that he didn't feel that he had to where he could start giving the Lord something. And that's led to his employment here at the church in a very anointed way. Now, having said that, I'm sure he's saying, oh God, I really got to get back to devotionals more carefully because <laughs> Kurt just bragged on me. But I want to say something about all of this. This is super important right now. You got to give him that time that is unencumbered, that's free of, that really is first him and only him. And when you do, you're going to find that almost all the time, a sustained lifestyle of that is going to take you to levels. Let me just say it clearly. You would have never known existed. You would have gone about your day. You would have had the Lord in them. You would have done a lot of things that God would have led you to do. I'm not saying it's ungodly. But what I am saying is, it would have these times will take you to places that you're not otherwise. It's extraordinary the degree to which I can lose my hope if I lose a couple of days of devotional. Start thinking a totally different way, start feeling a totally different way, so on. So that's a little sermonette, okay? Now I told you it's a long introduction. 
Because now I gotta tell you how God changed it and what we're gonna do today and why we're gonna do it. But in order to do that, I gotta do something, which is I gotta talk to you about Justine's absolutely phenomenal sermon last week. And I cannot do it justice in a summation because frankly, she used about as few words as you could use and get the point across. So summing it is going to destroy it to some degree. I hope you understand that. So, you know, listen to it. It's right there on the website. It's on Facebook. It's anywhere. If you just Google Justine Morris preaching and you'll come up with that sermon, okay? A lot of people responded to it. A lot of people commented on it. It hit a lot of people in their hearts. But I got to tell you, when I went out on my walk, that's what was happening to me. There was something that God was speaking to me that was still hanging over from her sermon to me personally. And I really do believe I was carrying the weight of the number of people that had heard it and responded to it because of how important it was. And I felt that I was carrying that burden. And what I felt like the Lord said was, you can't just move on. You're not done with this yet. So I knew that. And by the way, it's interesting just to tell you, even when I was preparing the sermon, the one thing I couldn't figure out for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the one thing I couldn't figure out was is, Boy, every sermon really builds on the last one at this church. No matter who's preaching, no matter what, every sermon really builds on the last one. I thought, this one kind of is disjointed. It has connection, but it's more disjointed than normal. And all of a sudden, he said, I want you to do this, and now I'll wait till you hear next week's. Because it's just absolutely bing, bing, bing. And I told you something, remember? I told you two weeks ago when I preached the term, and I preached on on how to foolproof yourself against deception. And the bottom line was, know that God is good. If you always remember that God is good, you're a lot less likely to end up in deception. You've got to hold on to that he's good. And then you'll hold on to truth and you won't end up in deception. That's what I preached. And I said, wait till you hear it next week because it's the follow-up to this. And what she preached about was absolutely that because what she did was extraordinary. Everybody in here who's been a Christian for any length of time has heard a sermon about suffering. In fact, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard a lot of sermons about suffering, and here's why. There's a lot of suffering going on, <laughs> right? People suffer, things happen. What's going on? How to make sense of it? There's a lot of sermons about suffering, but the vast majority of those sermons, which is a good thing, run a certain way. There is suffering in the world, and then we skip the suffering itself to get to the end and it's for a purpose. See? Like, and she talked about this. She said, there's so many different ways I could go on this, but I gotta tell you, I'm supposed to not talk about the bigger picture, some of the things we're gonna talk about today. I'm not supposed to talk about those things because God wants me to locate a moment in this progression that isn't often noted or isn't often properly considered. And that's this, Justine was preparing this sermon three years ago when she was in Luke 8, we're in Luke 20 something now, and she was in Luke 8 with the story of the woman with the issuance of blood who had tried for 12 years to get healing from it, had spent all of her money and that was now an outcast in her own society, unclean, untouchable, living a disconnected, painful life. When she was preparing that sermon, she got sick. Justine did. And she ended up eight months of just debilitating, knocked out migraines. And then gradually got quote unquote better, but not well enough to ever preach again. How many times did we schedule a sermon and we weren't able to do it? Because I kept trying to get her back in, but not, not to push at all, but just to get her back in the saddle and get her back to where, you know, and all of it, because it's important. The things, she has a way of finding the Lord. Everybody ever noticed that about her sermons? She has a way of finding a deeper place in the Lord. But we haven't had a sermon from her in three years because of this. And it's been, you know, all kinds of impact and, and everything else. But just let's be clear, just pain. Pain for three years. That's tough. Anybody ever been in pain for a lengthy period of time? There's almost nothing worse, okay? I don't know what is worse because that's the one where you're just going, how are you letting this happen, Lord? How can you let this happen? And at one point in time, having this woman with the issuance of blood be her mentor through this period of time, she came to the Lord in some anger and saying, how could you let this happen? What is wrong with you? Don't you love her? And the Lord spoke back to her, oh, I am 
deeply in love with her and always have been. And it's one of those words that when she told me that in one of our preach calls, the, the exact story, and I didn't get it right, but when she told me that, I could feel it. I could feel the Lord saying love in a way that of course she knew. Of course we know that God loves us in our suffering. Of course we know that he gets it, right? But I could feel the depths of what he had spoken to her as a living word about how much he loved her and that it was transformative in her and even in me as I listened to it at that moment. And then Justine said, it forced me to do something. It forced me to look at what we as Christians do with suffering. Because what we do is we skip over it. <laughs> we know that God, we know that there's suffering in the world. We know that God is over it in a sense. And so we skip to the purposes and the healing and the end game. When somebody's hurting, we say, God's going to use it for a good purpose. We skip over the moment. <laughs> and what she said is, this sermon is not about that. That's true. That's good. That's real. She said in the sermon, look, I got healed from a, from a thing that was supposed to kill me. I got miraculously healed in a moment. I know God is the healer, and I stand for my healing every day. She said that. So she wasn't trying to make suffering into its own little idol. She specifically said something that's extremely important. Never, ever make your doctrine out of your experiences. Don't ever do that. Make your doctrine out of Scripture. Understand how it fits with your circumstances, because that's where you'll find the deeper place in the Lord. And that's what she did because she said, I'm not going to talk about the thing that we skip over. I'm going to talk about the fact that we skip over it <laughs> and what's happening in it. And she said something extraordinary. She said, here's what we do. And it's true. She said, what we do is, is we make, because God is the healer and he always heals. And of course, he's always going to heal. So what we do is, is we have to do this funky little theological thing where we make Satan the king of all suffering so that we come over here and Satan's the one who's doing the bad thing. So everything that God's doing has only to do with getting out of that. And there's a real truth in God being the healer over here. Don't misunderstand. But what she was pointing out was Satan is not the king of your suffering. God is. You can argue theologically and it doesn't matter where it comes from or what it is or who brought it up or anything else. What you have to realize is you have to take something that theologically what we do is we sort of, we, we put it in a closet, we sort of segment it out. We say, I can't understand why this is still happening to me or why this even happens in the world other than say, well, it's a fallen world. Yeah, well, that doesn't, you need a deeper theology when you're in the middle of the time when you're suffering. How do you get there? How do, you, how do you bring this thing over into God's presence where he can do something much more deeply in you? Right? Being very careful not to confuse our theology here. But you get the point? She was going after what happens in that moment. And the first thing that she realized was this God loves me in a deeper way than I knew. And when you're suffering and you realize how God loves you, it is deeper than what you knew. But the second thing that she did was this idea of don't put things over here and sort of turn away from them as if they're not there and try and live over here as if you really trust and love God. When I was out on my walk, what happened was you know, in a certain sense, I went, I get it. There's these people that are going through these really difficult physical things, some of whom I'm looking at, and I know what you're going through, and it kills. It's unbelievable, but the thing that the Lord brought to me was, every Christian has this. Now, I'm going to say not every, because there's somebody in here who's going to say, I've never had anything like this happen in my life, but I got to tell you, during her sermon, I was thinking, this is such a good sermon. This is such a good truth. This is so important for people to hear. But I didn't think it pertained to me. And all of a sudden, God said, oh, yes, it does. What about this thing you've got that you've put over here in this corner? And you're not dealing with. Because it just doesn't fit. <laughs> you're not dealing with it. You've put it away. And I went, 
I don't want to bring that out. <laughs> I don't want to bring that to where I have to start dealing with it because it's incredibly painful. And frankly, it's been going on basically the whole of my adult life in one form or another. And then I started seeing and he started showing me. It's not just about physical. Physical is the worst, I really do think. But it's emotional, it's relational, whether that be really close relationships like spouse or kids or parents or whatever, but it's also jobs and bosses and all of this kind of thing. And it's not just that, it's things like financial. It's, things, it's these things that, are, that happen to people that it's just sort of, we just live in this place of it's crushing. And one of the reasons why we put it behind is because to put it in front, we fear would crush. But here's what the Lord said to me. I've had you in Luke for years in a series about being empowered, which it boils down to this. You've got to trust the Lord, what Lorelai said. You've got to learn how to trust the Lord in every single moment. And all of a sudden, he made me see that when we have something that we really sort of have segmented off that we're not dealing with, we can't ever get to where we're truly trusting him. As long as you've got something that you sort of keep over here, you can't really trust him and you won't really respond. Do you see it? You won't really go with him because after all, as much as he can be trusted, there's this little thing that we are, denial is not just a river in South Africa, or South America. Whatever the saying is. Amazon is in South Africa, so, okay. You know what, every time I said that in a sermon run through, I screwed it up, every single time. I was like, what, 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 anyway. But you get the drift. There's this thing where what he showed me was is we, what he showed was is the reason why he didn't want us to just skip over it and move on was because we needed to bring some things out. We need to bring some things out. We need to bring them right in front of us and we need to start dealing with them in a new way. We need to start finding, now listen to this, look at this. Is there a way to get that monitor right? I don't really care, I don't need it. You know what, don't because it'll just mess me up. So just leave it. <laughs> The deepest and richest things of God are very often to be found where people are not willing to look. <laughs> is that true? It is, isn't it? The deepest and richest things of God are often found where we're not willing to look. And here is a proof of that. Watch this. Basically, every Christian has something like that. Virtually almost every single person has something that they've tucked away so they don't have to deal with it on an ongoing basis. You see what's happening? God is wanting to bring us into a deeper and richer understanding, and yet all of us have tucked something away that is keeping us from a deeper and richer understanding. <laughs> right? Thank you, God, for shining a light in a place that needed a light shown in. Thank you, Justine, for bringing that. Thank you, God, because he's the one for bringing that to us, for opening our eyes and letting us see that. And what we're gonna do today, this is the long introduction is over, and now we're gonna pray and I'm gonna do just a short little thing and then we're gonna do something else as the Lord would lead because here's what he's trying to do to us today. He's trying to say, I want you to bring it out of the closet. I want you to bring it out of the place where it's in the shadows. I want you to bring it right in front here and I wanna show you a new way to live in this. I wanna show you a new truth to get to a deeper and richer place in the Lord. Does that sound like a good trade? So with that, oh man, how does the Lord do this? God, you're amazing. Eric Lee's gonna be praying for us. I can't, there'd be a lot of people that could pray for this. I, th I really think you're like the person to pray for this sermon. So that's just perfect. Eric, would you please lift up the sermon and another church? God, we are all broken in some way. And I pray that you would, just make us aware of that and not, not to hide it or turn away from it, but to really face it and embrace it. To recognize that we ourselves, each of us, are broken and to recognize that 
everyone around us is also broken. And I pray that that would turn our hearts toward each other and turn our hearts towards you. I pray this morning that uh, your words would flow through Kurt, that, uh, that he would decrease so you could increase. You'd speak through him. Thank you, Thank you God. Um, and I also, I pray for a church in Portland, my brother-in-law's church, Redeemer Thank Church, you. as they're, they've been going through a lot of disruption lately, and they are also very broken. And I pray that they could meet that head-on to not just sweep it into the corners, but you would use this as a, a moment in time to bring them back together, to be a healing and restorative moment for them. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Can I just say something? Um, before the election, even before the primary season, God started doing something with us about righteous mind and division and so on. And, and then that got stronger and stronger as the election happened. And then the election happened. And of course, there's been this incredible fracturing of friendships and relationships over political things. But it's not just political things, but you know, God has done something extraordinary. And it's been a super, super difficult time on a lot of relationships that you've had. You know what I mean? And, and I've been arguing the whole time that what God was looking for us to do was to find deeper oneness. That, his, that the goal wasn't to just quit looking at Facebook or quit reading people or defriend people that didn't agree with you or whatever. The, 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 the deeper thing that God was going after was how do you really come into a relationship with somebody who's not like you? Genuinely, righteous mind, different than you. How do you do that? And I've been arguing that the whole time, and it's been difficult. I mean, there's been a lot of really, really difficult things happen. Well, I said a few months ago, I said, it feels like that part's kind of calming down now to where it isn't like it was. And I'm not saying it's not gonna fire back up again due to what's gonna happen in the political season here. Whatever we're doing with the lights, could we not? <laughs> it's causing me to think about the lights and I don't wanna think about lights, okay? But nice try, I, I see what you're doing all of a sudden. I'm, and actually I can see people better, so thank you for that. Thank you. But, but I wanna say, on the one hand, I really do believe that the Lord is doing something, but I also believe that we've entered into a slightly new season right now. And this season has less sort of immediate peril in it, if I can put that that way, of, of division. People have calmed down a little bit, if I could put it that way. And I don't mean disconnect, because to, to disconnect from confrontation is not to deal with what God is having us to deal with. There's, you've got to connect with it in a way that it becomes something more healthy. That's the way through. The other way is just a way out. He's not looking for a way out. But what I think right now is, and this is, I'm really saying this, and I think I got the heart of the Lord on this when I say it, but there's big things in everybody's life right now. Not a lot, and life isn't horrible. It's not like everything's going wrong and the economy's in the toilet and everything's, but there's like these really big things that are in people's lives that are sort of coming, bubbling up. I really think that that's what he's doing. And I, so this sermon and what God's been doing since the beginning of the year, I think is speaking to that. He's trying to tell us how good he is and show us in very real ways. And let me just show you something now that happened on Monday morning after this sermon about suffering because you could have done something with Justine's thing. It's not what she did, but you could do something with it. You could say, oh, I get it. When I'm in suffering, I just need to sit in the suffering. But that's not what she was saying. She was saying, I pray every day for my healing. I continue to stand and fight for my healing. But you could say this kind of what I would call feckless prayer, which is, well, whatever you want, Lord, right? Now there's a way to pray that that's actually God. And there's a way to pray that that is not God because it's an abdication. It's a giving up of, it's a giving away of the responsibilities and the faith that we're supposed to be standing in. Now, I want to show you what God did on Monday morning. So we had this great sermon, and this does not come against at all, so don't misunderstand, but I want to show you. We had this great sermon about suffering and embracing suffering in a new way, in a new heart, at a new level. And then Monday morning, the New Testament passage, anybody remember what it was? This was the soap passage for our reading. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt down before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. 
He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now listen to those next words. You, Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here and he heals him. So we've just had a sermon about embracing suffering and all of a sudden, the next morning, the sermon, God seems to be saying something like this. You just don't have enough faith. <laughs> Which is exactly what she talked to and said, I, I went through as, as much faith as I could imagine and so on. Can I do something here? As soon as I read that on Monday morning, I had this thought, which was, God is not challenging what she said. God is trying to bring another layer to the other side and to the wholeness of it. And that is, can we admit something and own something? We are all faithless and corrupt. You know what that means? There is a systemic problem in the way that we think and believe, in the way that we understand God. There is a systemic problem. And if you don't think that that's true, it goes on. Because what God says afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? Now listen to what he says. Because you didn't have enough faith. We say all the time, when somebody doesn't get healed, don't go to them and tell them because they don't have enough faith. By the way, this isn't him saying that about the person sick. This is him saying about the person praying for him. Us. He's calling us faithless and corrupt and saying you don't have enough faith. Look, if you did, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say this mountain, move from here to there and it would move and nothing would be impossible. So I read that and I'm gonna be facetious now. So I'm kidding, all right? You could say, oh, well, the heck with the Sunday woman on Sunday, keep it simple, stupid. We're just supposed to believe, just have faith, just do that, that's all you're supposed to do, just be faith and you just don't have enough faith and just keep contending for faith. I am a person who grew up in the faith movement. So I actually know exactly what that spirit's all about. And trust me, for years and years and years, that's the spirit that I lived under. You just don't have enough faith. And I, would, I was nice enough to rarely tell that to somebody's face. But it didn't mean I didn't believe it. And it didn't mean I wasn't finding a deeper faith and I was seeing all kinds of miracles, so why weren't you? Idiot. Now what happened was, as soon as I read that, what God said was this. He said, let me, just, let me just keep it clear. You have to hold tightly and fully to two truths. The first one and the one that should always be first and the one that Justine kept first. God heals. And he is able. And does, We have to be so careful about our language here in order to get two truths right. By the way, when I say two truths here, I don't mean paradox. This isn't a paradox. Paradox is God is three and one. Both of those things can't be true in our logic, and yet they both are. God is fully man, fully, fully, uh, Jesus is fully man, fully God. Both of them can't be true, but it is true, okay? Predestination, free will, both true. Can't be logically, but they are. This is like that, but it's not that because it doesn't get to that place. But here's the point. There's two truths that he wants us to always hold on to and always be walking in the tension thereof. Holding two things true. God heals. And I don't just mean every once in a while. I mean in Jesus' case when he was on earth every time. Every single person. Now that doesn't mean every single person on earth got healed. But every person who came to Jesus got healed. So I want every single person that comes to me to get healed. And by the way, I'm happy to be in that list. So that every time I come to Jesus for healing, I get healed too. And the only problem is we don't have a Bible that says that. We have a Bible. Now I'm getting to slightly bigger themes than Justine was going to. Remember, she was going to a very focused, intimate thing of relationship with God. I'm blowing it back up again and I'm going back out again because I want us to see some things that she would have used and we talked about her using, but she didn't use. But I just want to show you something. Let's give you a couple. Concerning this thorn in the flesh, says Paul, who healed how many people? Do you think that Paul believed in healing? Do you think that Paul would be a good example of us as to how to have faith for healing? Right? But Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he got from God. I pleaded with, the, I don't, I'm gonna say from God, I'm not gonna say from God. I'm gonna say, 
A guy said something to me one time that I just liked. He said, you know, God could build a hedge around you to the point that nothing bad ever, ever happened to you. And so anything that got through, anything that got through, is it God allowing it? What is it? Because he could have kept you from it. And I think, can I just say something? I've never allowed myself to resolve the tension of that. Because I've always felt that living in the tension of it was healthier, truer, more full and rich. But here's what I want to say. Here's Paul saying concerning the sword of the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness, therefore I'll most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's what? I must decrease that he might increase. If every single Christian always got healed and never ever suffered, what would our witness be like? I've always said something. The fact that I walk with a limp, the fact that something happened to me that devastated me and my family, the fact that there's been something that's been sort of riding me for 40 years, most of my adult life, the fact that that has, is happening has made me the kind of pastor that when someone walks into me with something that is devastating them, they know that I know. I may not have experienced the very same thing, but they know that I know. And I can tell them that God is good. And they can say, okay, see it? But you know what, it wasn't just Paul that suffered. I mean, you know, do you think Jesus had enough faith to heal? And yet he suffered. And not only that, but he made it clear, God says through Paul, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, in his suffering. I'm completing in myself, in my life, the suffering that is yet to come in order to heal, ultimately. So all of a sudden, now we got this problem. If you want to have a kiss theology, keep it simple, stupid, and be all about you just have to have more faith, then you have to throw out these verses. You have to throw out these concepts. So what I'm going after is, no, don't throw anything out. Gather it all up. Hold it. And like we do with a paradox, push the truth that he's the healer and that he wants to heal every time. And push the truth that something else is going on too. And what is the something else that's going on? This is still the most, I, it's the first sermon I ever preached here. It's one of the most important things I think any Christian, any believer should know. And I believe that for this reason. It's the first book that God wrote because it's the first thing that he wanted people to know about him and life. The first book that God wrote, it's not first in your Bible, but the earliest book ever written about God that's in the Bible is Job. And God was trying to make a point in Job, a point that is almost always missed when it's preached. Here's how Job starts. The Lord, Satan's, Satan's been out wandering around and he said, you know, uh, you know, what did you see? And all this kind of stuff. And Satan says something. And then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is what? No, he's got a problem and it's hidden. But I'm just going to falsely call him blameless. No. God says Job is blameless. Not only that, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. This is God's testimony. You know what? Any of us gets to heaven and God says that about us, we win. <laughs> right? That's it. That's good. This is right. The way that this book is most often preached is, is well, you know, Job had a problem. He feared, you know, stuff. And so God had to teach him not to fear that stuff. You know what that makes you whenever you preach a sermon like that? It makes you one of the accusers. 
Because here's what the accusers say. Here's the logical, and it's called enthymeme, but here's the logical sequence. God is good, all good, completely good. God is all powerful. Therefore, good people can never suffer because it's not fair. That's the logical enthymeme. God is all good, he is all powerful, so good people cannot suffer. That's what every one of his accusers says to him. You say you're good, you say you got no problems, but there must be, and the way we know is because you're sick, or because you lost your family, or because you lost your wealth. See? Here's what Job is really about. A good person is suffering for a reason that he knows absolutely nothing about. Do you understand and do you remember something? Job never, even to the end of his life, after it's all over, still doesn't know what that was all about. He doesn't find out till heaven. I went through something, I don't know why, and it sucked. Now, what Satan said to him was, hey, of course he worships you. Who wouldn't worship you? You made him like really rich and he got this big family and he's got all of his health. Of course he's gonna worship you. But take that stuff away from him and he's gonna curse you to your face. And let's be clear, Satan was almost right because Job got to the place where he cursed the day that he was born. And he didn't curse God, but he did say, what kind of a God are you that would born me for this? See it? So that's like, really close. But here's the point of the book. Here's what God's trying to point out. From Job's perspective, this is phenomenally unfair. He is a genuinely good person. God said he was blameless. He's blameless. And now he's suffering. Doesn't make sense. If Job is the center of the universe, that's the end of it. We can't complete the, the logic. God is all good, he is all powerful, a good man suffering. One of those things has to be wrong. One of those statements has to be wrong. But here's what Job teaches us. What if Job isn't the center of the universe? What if somebody else is? What if there's someone else at the center of the universe? Well then, there's just a whole lot more going on than we're ever gonna understand. Do you remember when Job finally gets it, when God, you know, the accusers have come and then the young guy shows up and says, Basically, who are you to question God? And God picks up that theme. And here's what he says to him. Right at the very beginning, he says, you know, he says, I remember. He says, if you're going to accuse me and you're going to tell me that my plans aren't good and that I'm not doing the right thing by you, if you're going to tell me I've done something wrong by you, then surely you must know all the information that you need to to make that decision. And I remember on the day when I was making all of creation, and I remember looking around, and I don't remember your face being in the crowd. So if you're going to say I'm doing something bad, you must know everything, and yet it turns out you don't actually know hardly anything. You don't play with the Leviathan. You don't create the deeps and create the heights. You don't know hardly anything. And what does Job say to all of that when he finally does it? Oh my God, I don't know anything. He gets it. I'm so sorry that I accused you of anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything and you can do anything you want. That's what he says, twice. So here's the point. Through Job, God showed us all that there's always more going on than we can ever truly, fully, richly understand. We can understand a lot. And even then, it's but a drop in the bucket compared to what there is. I always wanted to say one thing. Always remember this. People will say, well, Job wasn't upset at God because he got twice as much in the end. Like he didn't love the 10 kids that died. Like he's all groovy with the years of sitting on the ash heap in pain. You know, there's this funny little thing about us. The thing that we remember are the things that scar us. They're not the good stuff. We forget the good stuff pretty quick. But the stuff that scars us, scars us. So you ask the question, is Job sitting up in heaven with the little scars licking his wounds and saying, why did you do that to me, God? Or is he sitting up in heaven and going, 
now that I see the whole picture, now that I understand it all, you used me to show every human being throughout the whole of human history this incredibly important truth about the fact that you might be doing something that we don't understand, and so we just need to trust you. You used me to show that? Who am I? Surely you could have picked somebody better. I think Job is absolutely humbled, blessed, blown away by what God used him for. Which is to say, now listen to this. What is God wanting us from us? What does he want from us? What does he require, as it says in one thing? All God has ever asked us to do is to know that he is phenomenally good, all-powerful, and listen to this, and that he's holding on tightly and fully to you. That was our, that was our tithe testimony, our first fruits testimony. All he's ever wanted you to do was just to know that he's all good, all-powerful, and that he's all about you holding on to you. No matter what happens, he never wants you to lose that, right? Now, I want to say something. Isn't that what he's been saying to us since the beginning of the year? Almost every single sermon has been some different way of looking at the same truth. Well, I think what God is trying to do is today, I think he's trying to bring it home. And he's trying to say, I want you to do something that is going to experientially bring you into an understanding in your own heart of his goodness in the tension of these two truths. So we're going to do something as I believe the Lord led. And can I say right now, don't freak when I say this, but we're gonna take about 15 minutes here and we're gonna pray. But we're gonna pray a very specific way and we're gonna pray five different things and I'm gonna talk in between each one. So we're only gonna do a couple of minutes on each prayer because I'm gonna, like I say, we're gonna go five different steps of how to actually enter into God's presence with fullness. Both truths true, okay? So here's the first one. Good, you are magnificently good, Lord. That's gonna be our first prayer. You are magnificently good. That's gonna be in a sec, thank you, okay? And what we're gonna do right now, this is the only one we're gonna do out loud, so no music on this one. This is the one that we're gonna do, and I'm gonna ask you to where you are, I want you to speak out with verbiage how good he is. Now, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, A, great to have you, and B, I really think that all you have, but you can absolutely enter into this experience by doing this. What's the good things that are in your life? If you don't think that there's a God, you don't think he's the reason that you've got him, that's fine, but just, just cause yourself to think about all the good that's in your life, all the good things. Now, what the Christians in here will be doing is they will be giving praise to God for those good things. So we're going to take about a minute, minute and a half right here, and I just want you to just start, and again, out loud, I want you to just start saying, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for this. But towards an end, what we're doing is, is we're telling ourselves to remember, to remind ourselves, to be aware of how exceedingly, magnificently good God is. I mean, you can literally get down to that I can take a breath right now. That's a thing to praise God for. And then there's a whole lot of stuff that goes up from there. All right, you got it? So I just want you to do this. And like I say, we're gonna do more quiet prayers from here on out. So just, like I say, close your eyes, would you? And just as you feel led, just let the Holy Spirit tell you what to praise him for and then just begin to praise him. Go ahead and turn off my mic while I'm praying, Roger, but I, I'm gonna speak nonetheless so that people can hear, but I don't wanna dominate, okay?
just begin to say out in a full voice, just praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. You are so good, God. You are so good. Thank God and thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for everything, God. Thank you, God. You are so good. You are so magnificent. You are so Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So many things. For so many things. And abundance. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, God. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Second one, go ahead. Thank you, Roger. Okay, confess. This is that thing that you may have put away. This is, I want you to confess and repent, but really what I want you to do is just bring it before him, bring it to him, bring it right in front of him, bring it in front of you and lay it on his altar. That thing that is, you know, whether it be kids or things that you just know are, are the things that you don't really trust him for because he just doesn't seem to have done what you needed him to do or it hasn't been good like you thought it should be. So whatever that thing is, just now, just quietly, and this is time to not interrupt your, your neighbor because they have to think about it too, but just quietly to yourself, I just want you to confess, bring those things out, just take them. Let the Holy Spirit show you what they might be. It might be more than one thing, of course. it right there in the midst of you and God. your feelings about it. Confess the way that you've felt, the way that you've been confused or not understanding or angry or hiding or like I say, it may be more than one thing. those things before him now I want us to pray and again to ourselves but you could maybe even whisper this one but I want you to stand for healing as a mustard seed and then some in fact just look at this that I'm putting up here I want you to come to him like you know who he really is right God creator of all good God just come to him that way and stand in belief, faith, moving mountains. Call for, believe for, stand on, 
that thing to be healed, to be you to be delivered from it, to be gone. That he's bigger, that he heals. It's not about you, it's about him. About he's the one who delivers from this thing. So just begin to say that. Just begin to stand there. And in a prayer of faith right now, just say, be gone. Stand in your authority and stand also thanking him that he delivers you from this. He saves you from this. Thank you, Lord. and to say, Satan, get thee behind Jesus. Be gone and do not come back. The Lord rebuke you. That's all right from the word. Just proclaim that over those things. Stand in the authority and the faith, in the mountain-moving faith that destroys all that the enemy, no weapon formed against me will prosper. In Jesus' name, all that the canker worm has stolen, you restore. Everything that Satan tries to do, I am the child of the king. And it doesn't matter. So proclaim that. Stand in authority against it. Get thee behind, Jesus. Be gone and do not come back. The Lord rebuke you. Thank you. Eve, help my unbelief. Where I am corrupt and systemically don't understand, heal that too. Get me to standing in that mustard seed plus of faith that moves mountains, God. And that moves these mountains, that destroys them, withers them like the fig tree, so that they no longer produce any of their bad fruit. come to the other's truth his will not ours there's something else going on we stand in faith and we continue to stand in faith but we recognize that there's always more than we can ever understand going on and so we're coming to him not in that feckless prayer that says well whatever you want Lord I guess I don't know anything no stand in your faith stand in your authority stand in the things that God is saying and do whatever he tells you to do and stand in that and at the same time recognize that there's always stuff going on that is bigger than what you know and so you're giving it to him you're placing it on his altar for him to consume in the way that he would alone right so just take it and right now just 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 his will not mine and this is the the verse that we're going to use for it Jesus went on a little further and fell to the ground on the last night before he was betrayed the night of his betrayal and he prayed that if it were possible the awful hour awaiting him might pass by Abba Father he cried out everything is possible for you please take this cup of suffering away from me yet I want your will to be done not mine so proclaim that now your will not mine thank you God 
conviction of both of these truths, even as you pray. I know that you cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Just proclaim it. Nonetheless, your will, not mine. If there's some other thing I don't get, I stand here trusting you. I stand here adoring you. You have delivered me from so much. I know you can deliver me from this now. If you don't choose to, it is your choice. And I stand in faith and I also stand in trust. In Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, Lord. And now we're going to do one last thing. We're going to place our need on his altar, knowing that he holds tightly and fully to us. Many of you have seen out in the foyer that we have created something. And this is, I, I had a picture further back, but I forgot to put it in. But this is, this is on the foyer. It's just right there. There's a wall that we built. And some of you may have guessed what it was. It's just pretty as it is. But we really actually meant it to be something. We meant it to be a prayer wall. And the inspiration that we get from it comes from the Wailing Wall, which is the last place of the temple that the Jewish people go to because that's the last place, that's where God lives, is in the temple and there's no temple. So they come to the last wall and they couldn't tear that wall down because it was retaining all that dirt behind it. And so they left the Wailing Wall there. That's the last wall of the temple. And what people do is they go up to it and you see that little, you see the stuff stuffed into the cracks? Those are pieces of paper, they're prayers. And they come and they put their prayer in that crack for God to hear. Now we know something. We know that we're the temple. We know that, that, that God is not waiting to come back and he's distant from. We know that he's here in us, that we are the temple and he goes with us. But I'm going to have you do something. In, in your chair front, there's a piece of paper and there's a pen. And I want you to take this thing, not just anything. I want you to take this thing that you've got this big thing that's been back there that you don't really trust him, that you don't really, that's holding you back. And there's an usher's coming down. If you need a piece of paper and pencil, they can give you one. Okay, it was only, we didn't do all the chair racks. So we've got more. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down your big things. And then I literally want you to go out and put your, put your piece of paper in the wall. And then I'm asking you to do something, please. Don't leave. Just do the prayer, write it down. Go out, pray, put it in the wall, and then come back because we're going to have a moment of communion and rejoicing in song. We're going to seal this properly, which is what we want to do, right? So do you get it? Write down your thing. Write down these two things, three things, however many it is. Write down these things, and then here's the point. We know that God goes with us, but we've got a touch point of something that will remind us to keep this thing before Him. Don't segment it off and forget about it and be in denial about it. Keep it in front of us. Do you see it? Where he can do what he wants to do with it. Because he's going to show you something rich and full if you don't abandon it, if you don't segment it out. So write down the things, put it in the wall, and then please come back.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just as people still are coming in, but just reach down and grab these cups in front of you, would you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Take this bottom cup. There's two cups there. Take this bottom cup in which is his body broken for you. And what we recognize is this is that life that I have led. That, that was faithless and corrupt. That was segmenting things off. That was not in the place where he could, I could trust him. Or I did trust him. How much have I held back from God because I wasn't willing to go all in because I thought he hadn't met me. We recognize now that that has broken us, hindered us, held us back. We recognize not only that it has hindered us, and so we take our finger and put it in there and just break it. But then we lift it up unto the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, who took all of that brokenness upon himself in order to heal it. And so in Jesus' most magnificent name, God, we lift up this cup in which is our brokenness, but your healing. And we take together saying, God, heal me completely and utterly. Now take this cup in which is the life is in the blood. The life that he has for us is in this cup, in this act, in this Christ, in this God. And he is wanting us to bring us into the life that is full on trust. Holding tightly and fully to the fullness that is him. So lift up this cup, would you, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, God. And say as you take it to yourself, I want the fullness of the life that you already have for me.